Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. You know, just coming out of um, Vision Builders season for uh, our church and Vision Builders month, and I do just want to take a second and honor pastors Marco and Natalie Contreras, who have um, taken on the, the mantle of, of Vision Builders for our church and have done just such an amazing job, and just the, the spirit behind Vision Builders feels different, and so thankful for what you guys are doing. Um, but I think coming out of Vision Builders season, you know, we can be, I think at times, so focused on mission and the assignment and the strategy and the X's and O's of everything, that sometimes, and maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just preaching myself, and that's fine, I'm happy to do that, we can lose sight sometimes of just the fundamentals. And what makes elite athletes great is that they have mastered and always return to the fundamentals. Kobe Bryant would shoot free throw after 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 free throw as one of the greatest basketball players of all time. They're literally so easy that the name is called a free throw. They just assume that it's a given you're gonna make it, it's just called free, it's a free throw. But Kobe Bryant would practice it over and over and over again because he knew that he had to master the fundamentals. There was a coach named Tony Dungy who coached, um, I believe it was the Indianapolis Colts uh, to the Super Bowl, and he said that champions don't do extraordinary things. Champions do ordinary things consistently. And so I want to um, revisit one of the core fundamentals of the Christian faith, a fundamental principle, and it's found in an interaction that Jesus has um, at nighttime with a Pharisee. The title of my message is Nick at Night. Nick at Night. I realized when I submitted this title that it really has nothing at all to do with Nick at Night. Does anybody remember Nick at Night? Wow, there's 12 of you. This is, makes me feel very old. Nick at Night was a television kind of program in the evening hours of the, the, t- the TV station Nickelodeon. They pr- played a lot of, they played like classic TV shows like Get Smart, The Dick Van Dyke Show, I Dream of Jeannie, Bewitched. For all of you young people, a television is like a big, like almost like a window that goes on a wall in a home that people would used to gather around to watch. If you're unaware, that's what a television was. Um, And so that has nothing to do at all with this message. This message is called Nick at Night because a man named Nicodemus visits Jesus in the cover of night to have a conversation with him. And within it, within that conversation, within that discourse, Jesus unveils one of the most foundational principles of our faith. So come with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. Going to start reading in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, it should be on the screen behind me, but it is always great to have your Bible in church. Here we go. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life." So in this discourse with Nicodemus under the cover of night, Jesus gives one of the most foundational principles of the Christian faith, and it is the principle of being born again. The new birth, to be born again. Now, if we were honest with one another, the term born again Christian carries with it certain connotations. It makes people think of Ned Flanders from The Simpsons with his pleated khaki pants and his green sweater saying things like, hi, diddly-ho, neighborino, and just being a generally nice person with a perfectly manicured lawn. And if you're wearing pleated khakis and a green sweater, I'm sorry, I wasn't meant to offend you. I'm talking about a Simpsons character. It's, it's okay. That's what people think of when they hear the term born-again Christian, just lame, nice people. I remember years ago before I became a Christian, I was in Texas Tech University. I went there for a year and I worked a security job at like the big basketball arena and I got to be there for all these big, you know, any, any um, musical act that came in town or whatever. And um, I was there one time and they had this guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman who's like a massive Christian contemporary music guy awesome, but at the time, because I wasn't a Christian yet, thought it was super lame, and so I'm standing there, um, you know, manning my post or whatever, and just looking out at all these people, closing their eyes and swaying with their hands up, and just was like, this is lame. And then I locked eyes with this guy who had his hands up doing this, and he looked at me, smiled, and I was like, oh, no. And immediately, he put his hand down and walked right up to me. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And I just was like, has that ever worked for you? Ever? Ever. Have you ever done that and someone just said, no, I don't. Can you please broker an introduction for me right now? And that's what I thought of when I thought about born again Christians, people like, like that. Just, again, nice Lame, I hate to say that, but it's just true. But I'm thankful for a church that's raising up born-again Christians who are bold, who are courageous, who are titans in the marketplace, who are incredible men and women of courage. There is a certain connotation that comes with a born-again Christian. A lot of times people will think, um, 
even of people who were just like deep in the throes of like moral failure. And then, you know, God kind of pulls them out and, and puts them on a rock and, and they've been born again. But we'll see that Jesus defines being born again as something radical and foundational to being a Christian. So really, if you, if you boil it down, what Jesus is doing, the message of Jesus was that the kingdom of heaven is here. There is a new nation, if you will, a new administration that's coming in. Now, it's not a physical nation. It's not a physical form of government. And that's what the Israelites originally thought. They thought that the Messiah, that Jesus was going to come in and he was actually going to, you know, dispossess the land from the Romans and restore to the Jews their physical kingdom. And Jesus said, no, 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 you guys, you don't, you don't get it. You're, you're missing it. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of the heart. It's a, it's a supernatural kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. And so what Jesus is actually doing in this discourse with Nicodemus is giving him the rules for citizenship into the kingdom. That's what he's doing. He gives him the rules for how to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So that's what we're going to look at. Point number one is how to become a citizen of the kingdom. Definition of a citizen is a person who by place of birth or naturalization is granted full rights and responsibilities as a member of that nation. So Jesus outlines how to become a citizen, if you will, of the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the United States, there are two paths to citizenship. You can be born in the United States and you are an American citizen, or you can be naturalized. You can be a naturalized citizen of the United States. And here, down south, so close to Mexico, I believe we have many, many, many naturalized citizens of this country who were born in other nations, came here, and became a naturalized citizen. So there's two paths to citizenship in the United States, by birth or by naturalization. I am a U.S. citizen by birth, okay? I was born here, but I did spend, uh, everybody also knows that I'm also an honorary member of La Raza, okay? I grew up doing construction. I worked, I was a drywall contractor, and all of my friends were Latinos, and so I, I, I spoke very, very fluent Spanish. My Spanish is embarrassingly bad now, but I used to speak a lot of Spanish. When I met Katie, I actually spoke more Spanish than I did English, and I would write to-do list to myself in Spanish, and I was just, Katie was very confused when she met me, because I am quite clearly an overtly white gringo, okay? And then I would roll up to, like, I would listen to Norteña, Norteña music, like, by myself in the car, because I just liked it. Not because friends were in the car, that was just what I was into. So I would just be, just white guy cruising down the road with... <laughs> I was just, I was into it. You know, I listened to the Cumbia Kings. Donde estas, mi amor? Donde estas, corazón? No quiero sufrir más. Te necesito a mi lado. But I'm a U.S. citizen, okay? I was born here. One time I was playing pool in a pool hall with all of my Mexican friends. And it was like late at night, and this was like a Mexican pool hall, okay? So like when I walked in, it was like the music was like, everybody stared at me for a second, but then it was okay, because I was with the boys, it was all good. And so we're playing pool, having a good time, drinking a Tecate light or two, it was awesome. And then out of nowhere, it's the middle of the night, out of nowhere, the door just busts open, and someone runs in and yells, La Migra, La Migra. And I have to tell you that 
almost all of my friends were undocumented at the time. And so the place goes crazy. Everybody just takes off running, like pool cues just thrown on the ground, and everybody starts running. And I don't care what anybody tells you. If you're in a place and everybody starts running, then you start running too. And so I literally just was like. And off I went, and I was out the door, and I was running down the street full speed, and then I'm running, and I'm like. Wait a minute. I was born here. I'm a citizen of this country. But I had forgotten for a moment. There's two paths to citizenship here in the United States. You can be born a U.S. citizen or you can be naturalized. And to be naturalized, and I, would, I'm, I would be lying if I said I knew the exact process, but I think it's something to the effect of you have to be a permanent resi a resident for a, a set amount of time, if it's you know, five to ten years or whatever, and then you go through certain almost rites and rituals where you're going to, you know, you're going to give an oath of allegiance to this country. You have to prove some level of competency through a test around uh, American government and civics. And then you go to a ceremony and you become an American citizen. And that is what it looks like to be naturalized, to be a naturalized citizen. Jesus says that there is only one path to citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, and it's by birth period. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they have been born again. You cannot be naturalized into the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people try. A lot of people try to hang out around church for five, six, seven, eight years, you know, perform the rites and the rituals, get confirmed, get baptized, you know, they, and they think that that makes them a believer, and it doesn't you cannot be naturalized into the kingdom of heaven. You can't just be around Christians and magically become one. You must be born again. That's the only way, the only path to citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is you must be born again. You can't inherit it. You can't slowly assimilate. I remember one time I was talking to somebody and um, you know, it was like, he was like, oh yeah, man, I'm a Christian. I was like, oh cool, like what makes you a Christian? He was like, I'm I'm from San Antonio, Texas. I was like, okay, so? You think just because you're born in Texas, you're a Christian? No, no, no. You have to be born again. You can't inherit it. You're, just because your parents were Christian doesn't mean you have to be born again. The only way, you gotta hear me, the only way to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is you must be born again. And you have to understand how infuriating this must have been to Nicodemus. And to understand the, the weight of what Jesus is saying, you've got to understand who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus, Jesus calls him in the passage that we read, the teacher of Israel. And most Bible scholars believe that he wasn't being facetious or insulting. That was actually Nicodemus's title. Like he was called the teacher of Israel. Like think of him as like, you know, the professor of divinity at the Yale Theological Seminary kind of guy. Like as learned and scholarly as you could possibly be was Nicodemus. And Jesus says, I don't care. I am unimpressed. It doesn't matter. You must be born again. And so what he's actually saying to Nicodemus is all of your... and, and Nicodemus would have been an outstandingly moral person. 
a very good person. And I, by all accounts, again, we don't know, but by all accounts, probably not like a good person, you know, on face value, but actually, you know, at night going and doing all kinds of wacky things. He was actually probably a very moral, good person, probably a committed husband, good father, very generous, gave to the poor. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you haven't been born again. And so what Jesus is actually saying, and this is where it would have Nicodemus, you can, and you can hear in Nicodemus's language, he's frustrated. He's like, what are you talking about? Because what Jesus is saying to him is that all of your degrees all of your, the respect you've earned in the community, all of the good deeds you've tried to pile up, you, just like everybody else, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, must be born again. We all start back at day one. You, on day one of being born again, will be just like the tax collector in the center on day one. Jesus was nullifying every good thing he had ever done, every, all the respect he had earned in the community, all, all of it. He said, it doesn't matter if you have not been born again. And it destroys the, this, the, the good person argument. You know, a lot of people, if you say, hey, do you think, you know, um, if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And they say, yeah, you know, I think so. Okay, well, why? Well, you know, I just think I'm I'm a pretty good person. I try to make good choices. I try to take care of people when I can. And Good compared to what? When people say that, what they're actually saying is they think of the worst person they can possibly think of, and they say, well, yeah, I mean, compared to that, I'm a pretty good person. But that's not the measuring stick. The measuring stick is God's standard. Think of the... The way I've tried to explain it before is imagine the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the, the finest, most revered technological college in the world. When it comes to science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM degrees, that is cream of the crop, the who's who, that's, that is the place. They have very, very, very strict admission standards, okay? I myself applied at MIT and was rejected. I gave them my entire academic record. I said, here's my transcript. Here's all that I've done in my academic career. Here's my SAT scores. Here's a, an essay about how awesome I am and how much of I can contribute to this university. They looked at it and said, you are not good enough. Rejected. That's where you're supposed to go, oh, and feel bad for me. You know, it's fine. I've worked through it. It's all good. In the same way, well, first think, imagine if MIT all of a sudden out of nowhere said, hey, you know what? It is 2023. I am sick of our exclusivity. We need to be more inclusive. And so from now on, MIT has no admission standards. Anybody can come to MIT and get a degree. Who are we to keep people that want to come to MIT out? What would happen to the value of an MIT degree? It would plummet. It would mean nothing. In the same way, God cannot lower his admission standards, not because he's a jerk, not because he's mean, not because he's a cosmic killjoy that is trying to police your choices. It's because he is of infinite value. And in the same way, if God just said, hey, you know what? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people love me, don't love me. I don't care. Open admissions. Anybody come? God would devalue himself, which he cannot do because he is the most valuable being in the universe. So how do we bridge the gap? God has impossibly high admission standards. And it, listen, and those standards are the Ten Commandments, by the way. And you don't even need ten. You could call it the one commandment. And it would, everybody would be disqualified because the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. Fail. 
Every single one of us at some time or another has made something more ultimate than God. And that's what it means to put another God before me. It means have you ever made something more ultimate than God? Have you ever, and it could be a good thing, it'd be a great thing, it'd be your kids, it could be your spouse, it could be your family, it could be your career, your job, it could even be your church. If you have elevated that thing to a place where it is more ultimate in your life than God himself, then the Bible would say that you have fallen short of the glory of God. You have broken the first commandment, the God's admission standards. You haven't made it. All sin and fall short of the glory of God, even if it's a good thing. If you derive your value from it, if, if, you're, if who you are as a person is, I am a, I'm a good mom, I'm determined to be a good mom, and as long as my kids are good and healthy and succeeding, then whew, I'm okay. That's how I define myself as a person. Then you have elevated your kids to a place above God, period. And that's what it means. And so God cannot lower those admission standards, but he made a way through Jesus Christ. It would be as if I went to a super nerdy math kid who got a 1600 on his SATs, a 4.0 GPA, and I, would have, I said to him, hey, can I take your transcript and put my name at the top? Can I take your SAT scores and put my name at the top and apply to MIT? If you don't know, that's called fraud. It's like against the law. That's why Christianity is so scandalous because that is exactly what it is. It's cosmic fraud. It's Jesus Christ saying, hey, your moral record doesn't get you in, but you know what? Why don't you put your name on the top of my transcript? Why don't you put your name on the top of my SAT scores so that when you stand before God and he looks at not your academic record, but your moral record, he won't see you, he will see me. And that's what Jesus means when he says you must be born again. That's how you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's by birth, no other way. Now, again, the definition of a citizen is someone who has rights and responsibilities of a nation. So I want to look at those. What are the responsibilities as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? As a citizen of the United States, we have responsibilities. You have a responsibility to pay your taxes. I know you don't always want to. Neither do I. But we have a responsibility. You know, maybe it's to minimize that tax burden as much as we can within the confines of the law. But nevertheless, we have a responsibility to pay our taxes. We have a responsibility to go to jury duty. That's how our country is structured. If you get summoned to go be in a jury, you, as a citizen of the United States, you have a responsibility to do that. As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have responsibilities. And I want to look at what one of the things Jesus says to, um, to Nicodemus. He says in verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the Spirit, uh, which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Again, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And what a lot of people think is when Jesus says you must be born of water and of the Spirit, that he's referring to a natural birth and then a spiritual birth. You know, when a woman um, is starting labor, her water breaks. And a lot of people think that, that Nicodemus was, or that Jesus was talking about your, the, a natural birth, a, a water birth. 
but that's not what he's talking about. It's actually really amazing what Jesus does is he's telling Nicodemus all this stuff and Nicodemus is like, don't understand, don't compute, don't understand. So Jesus actually tries to communicate with him on his terms. He says, oh, okay, you're not understanding what I'm saying, let me put it in your terms. And he says that um, uh, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And it's a direct allusion to Ezekiel chapter 36, which Nicodemus would have known backwards and forwards like the back of his hand. What Jesus is actually doing is, hey, look, you don't understand what I'm telling you. Let me put it in your own language, in terms that you're going to understand. Nicodemus would have probably had Ezekiel 36 memorized, and it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it says, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Water for cleansing and spirit for transformation. As a, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus is saying is when you are born again, you must be and will be inevitably transformed. You cannot, I know this is controversial, you cannot be a Christian and stay the same. You can't. You can't. By definition, Jesus says, if you are born again, I will take your heart out, your heart of stone, and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. And then he even says that, again, alluding to Ezekiel 36, that then you will begin to walk in my statutes, that you'll actually live a more godly life. And it, it may be, it may be, it doesn't say anything about the rate of progress, Okay, there's definitely people that, that just seem to transform faster than others. And, you know, I, I get really frustrated sometimes that in the Bible, every time God talks about growth, he uses the analogy of, like, plant growth, of botanical growth. It's always like, you know, trees bearing fruit and seeds being sown and then harvest. It's all about plants and farming. And I hate that because guess what? Plants grow slow. And it's like God is just preparing us that you're gonna grow slowly, but you will grow. Transformation is inevitable. You cannot be born again and not be different, period. You have a responsibility, and I don't, I don't mean it as it's a responsibility like you're the one doing it, like it's, it's, you have to muster up your own discipline and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and grit your teeth. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you that it is a responsibility because it is an inevitability. You cannot be a Christian and stay the same. And I love what Jesus says. He then tries to give Nicodemus this analogy, and he says, it's like the wind. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And again, we know that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and, and it's almost like the picture is that while they're there talking in, in, in the night, in the dark, there's, maybe they're standing under a sycamore tree, and then all of a sudden, as Jesus is talking, a wind gust picks up, and you can hear the leaves of the sycamore tree blowing and hear the branches kind of clack together, and Jesus says, it's, it's like that. It's like that. And listen, I'm an, I'm an engineer by trade. I, I know, you know, how some technical things work, but I don't know how wind works. 
I can't tell you. I could probably BS my way through it. Oh, it's a temperature differential and stuff, and that's all I, I know. I don't know. I don't know how the wind works. I can't explain it in scientific terms. I can't give you the, all the mechanics of why it's happening, but I feel it. I can't deny its existence. And in the same way, Christians, when they're born again, they may not be able to explain it. I, I can't really tell you how it works. I can't define the exact mechanisms, but I feel its effects. I know I'm different. Other people may look at you and say, I can't explain it. I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but I can't argue with it. I can't argue with its existence. I can't argue that you are a different person. And that's what Jesus is talking about, that transformation as a Christian is inevitable. You will be transformed. A heart of stone will be replaced for a heart of flesh. You will find yourself caring, caring. Like before, when I was at the Stephen Curtis Chapman thing, I thought it was the lamest concert I had ever been to in my life. Now, if someone was like, do you want to go see Stephen Curtis Chapman? I'd be like, yes, I can't wait. And I would be the guy that I used to make fun of. I'd be standing there with my eyes closed, swaying with my hands in the air, because God has replaced my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. I am a different person than the person that I was 15 years ago. And I was thinking, you know, about examples. I could give you 50 million. But just one I thought of, you know, I used to be um, just wildly insecure. And, and if people were talking, I had to, I had to cut them off. And, and if they were telling a story, I had to tell a better story that was, you know, more, more theatrical and, and better told. And I couldn't celebrate anybody's anything. If somebody experienced some kind of a, a breakthrough or a mountaintop, whatever, I just would, I would, you know, I would fake it. I would do this. Good for you. That's great. Inside, I was dying. Inside, I was so frustrated that my life wasn't working out the way that I thought it should. And why, why is all this stuff working for them and not working for me? And I remember several years ago, I, a friend of mine that I used to do business with, um, and we parted ways in business, and it was, it was totally amicable and, and all good, um, had a great relationship. But I remember I had found out, not even through him, through somebody else, that he had, was part of a company that got acquired, and, and he had a pretty massive financial windfall. And I just remember, and again, I didn't even hear it from him. It was actually somebody else told me. And I remember the minute that I heard, I just was like, yes, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm so pumped for that guy. I'm so pumped for his family. Gosh, he deserves it. And it wasn't like, he wasn't, he wasn't there. I didn't hear the news from him. And I was like trying to like, ooh, neat. Someone else told me, and I was pumped for him because I'm a different person. And I realized in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, like I would never have celebrated somebody else's victory in the past, but I am different. Because when you're born again, you will be transformed. You will be transformed. It's the responsibility of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I just, gosh, so many people. Like one of the great things about being a pastor is I get to watch this happen to people. And I could just pick any, any one of you, so many. Jim O'Connor is like one of my favorite conversion stories ever. Like the Jim O'Connor that I met in the movie theater at AMC eight years ago is not the same person that I know today. Like literally. And I've watched it happen before my very eyes. I was talking to somebody between service and um, 
he said, you know, if I was being cynical, I could say that all of these people are here because they're mesmerized and almost even hypnotized by the lights and the haze and the music. And, and I said, yeah, maybe. But then how do you explain how they're transformed? You can't manufacture that. You can't fake that. You can't, you can't create an environment that is going to actually change people's hearts. Only God can do that. Only God. Only being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And point number three, again, a citizen has responsibilities, but citizens also have rights. As an American citizen, you have a right to a trial by jury, as an example. You have a right to the freedom of religion. You have a right to peaceably assemble. There are rights that we have as an American that you didn't earn, you didn't, you know, just because you're an American, you get them. In the same way, there's rights to being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. In John uh, 3, verse 13, Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the, I'm not gonna go into all the details, but what Jesus is alluding to is a story in Numbers chapter 21 that's, it's, it's crazy, okay? Like Old Testament stuff is, was wild. So the story is, I'm gonna paraphrase, the Israelites are wandering through the desert, Moses is their leader, and he's trying to get them to the promised land. And the Israelites are just the worst. They just complain all the time. Finally, God gets so sick of their complaining. This is Old Testament God, y'all. Old Testament God was crazy. I like, I'm thankful for New Testament God. Old Testament God just says, you know what? Done with this. And he sends snakes in the desert to venomous snakes to go bite and kill the people. So the Israelites are just in the desert whining about how they don't have any bread and they're just so frustrated that they wish they'd go back to Egypt and God's like, okay, have some snakes. Bah! And snakes come out of everywhere and start biting them. Then, this is amazing, I love this. This is like so what people do. They go to Moses and say, hey, can you talk to God for us and have him take the snakes away? Which is so crazy. They, they didn't pray themselves. They know God too. They could have prayed themselves for God to take the snakes away. They go to the leader and say, hey man, can you help us out? This is what they should have done was say, what is it in me that has brought these snakes? God, change in me whatever it is that is, is bringing this judgment upon me. They don't. So what God tells Moses to do is he says, I want you to create a, a bronze casting of a serpent. I want you to put it on a staff. And whenever... Um, when you raise the staff, if anybody looks upon it after they've been bitten, then they'll be cured, which is crazy because what God doesn't do is say, sure, let me take away the snakes, poof. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm gonna leave the snakes, but I'm gonna make all their fangs break off. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, the snakes are still gonna be there and you're still gonna get bit, but there won't be any venom in the snakes. He doesn't do that. The snakes are still there. The snakes are still biting people. The snakes still have poisonous venom that's killing people, but if they look upon the serpent raised on the staff and they will be healed. Jesus says in the exact same way, I will be raised up on a staff and anybody who looks upon me will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And it's amazing because you have to understand Jesus is, he's alive as he's telling, he's not, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. He's actually prophesying about what's going to happen to him that one day I'm gonna be hung on a staff 
and I'm going to be raised up. And anybody that looks upon me will not die from the venom of the serpent of this world. So as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you haven't earned it, you you haven't done anything to deserve it, but you have a right to the restorative power of Jesus Christ. That when you look on him, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will heal your diseases. He will cause you to prosper. That is a right you have as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's crazy because the very next verse, I read John 3, 1 through 15, but in that discourse, Jesus closes the discourse with the most famous Bible verse ever uttered which is John 3, 16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And that is the message of what it means to be born again, that you can only enter the kingdom of heaven by birth. You have to be born again. And as a citizen, you will be transformed and you will have access to all that God offers, to be healed, to have your heart of, of stone turned into a heart of flesh. And it's, um, when you look at the way the interaction with Nicodemus happened, you can hear at the beginning, just like, almost like the attitude of Nicodemus is sort of haughty and, and he says, you know, Rabbi, we know that you clearly are sent from God. Nobody could do the things you've done unless God had sent him. But it's like the, what Nicodemus is trying to do is almost like, hey, let's form an alliance. You know, you got some cool things going on. We're the Pharisees. Let's, you know, let's join up. Let's see how we can, it was like a political power play. He came to Jesus to evaluate Jesus instead of going to Jesus and asking Jesus to evaluate him. There's a, a story, that, a parable that Jesus tells in, in Luke 18 of, of two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee goes to the temple and he's praying and he says, God, thank you that you didn't make me like them. Thank you that I am a man of renown. I bring my, my tithe. I'm a good person. God, thank you that I am not like the sinners and the tax collectors. And then Jesus says that there's a tax collector who won't even approach the temple out of reverence. He stands a far way off, and the Bible says he beats his chest, and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, one of those men went home justified, and it wasn't the Pharisee. It was the tax collector. And so Jesus says to be reborn, to have this new birth, you have to look on the cross, just as the serpent is raised up, and anybody that looked on it was saved from the snake bite, so too, the way that you are born again is you have to look on the Son of Man who was raised up on the cross. You have to accept the gift that was Him dying in your place, essentially giving His moral record, living a perfect life, a sinless life, 
Jesus, uh, God's saying that, that the, the wages of sin is death. There must be an atoning sacrifice. It's like, you know, a lot of people would say like, well, why couldn't God just forgive? Like if we, we make bad choices and we don't do things right, why can't God just say, hey, you tried your best, I forgive you. Imagine if I borrow Pastor Marco's car and he lets me borrow it and I'm like, thank you, you know, mine's in the shop or whatever. And I'm, I'm at, I can't say Target because I don't shop there anymore. I'm at, what's a non- What's a non-woke business? I don't even know anymore. I'm at Kmart. Do they even have Kmart? That's not real. I'm at Trader Joe's. I don't know. I'm somewhere. I'm shopping. And I am reversing out and doosh, I hit a light post. I'm like, oh my gosh. I get out and I look at the car, at Pastor Marco's car, and there's a big dent in his fender. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I, I go back to him and I said, Marco, man, I am so sorry. I dented your car and I don't have the money. I can't, I can't fix it. I can't pay for it. And Marco says, it's okay. I forgive you. The dent in the bumper doesn't go away. When Marco forgives me, what he's saying is, I absolve you of your responsibility to pay that debt. I will pay it for you because he's either gonna have to pay his own money to get it fixed, or when he sells his car, he's gonna have to sell it at a lower price because there's a dent in the bumper. The, the wrong doesn't go away just because it's been forgiven. When Jesus says, I forgive you, when God says there is forgiveness available to you, it doesn't mean that all of your sins just magically go away. It means that somebody else is assuming responsibility for them. Jesus Christ is saying, I will shoulder the wrath of God. I will shoulder all of the, 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 the wages. I will shoulder the death that, that you have earned, and I will take it upon myself so that you don't have to have it. And that is what it means to be reborn, to be given new life, to step into a, a life that has been purchased by Jesus Christ, so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the mistakes and the shortcomings and that when you almost got it right but you didn't and how you tried and, and your dysfunction, he doesn't see any of that. He sees Jesus himself. So I'd love it if we, as we close, if you just bow your heads and, and close your eyes. And if you're in here today and know that, um, that you need to be born again. And maybe, maybe you, this is your first time in a church ever. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe, maybe you're almost like a Nicodemus where you've tried your whole life to do everything right and to get it, get it perfect and, and, and just be a good person so that God would love you and accept you. But God says, unless you have been born again, you cannot enter my kingdom. And if you know that you need to be born again today, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but we'll have everlasting life. To be reborn just means to believe. And so I wanna walk you through a very, very simple prayer, and it's just a prayer of belief. And you may say, you know, I, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know the right words to say, and that's okay. I'll walk you through it. So here in a second, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, and you know that God is knocking on the door of your heart today to be reborn, maybe, maybe again, for the very, very first time, maybe you grew up in church, you, you once walked with God, but you've fallen away, slipped away, whatever, 
Maybe you're in here today and you just feel impossibly far from him today, but you know that he's calling you back home. Then I want you to shoot your hand up too. On the count of three, if you're in any one of those three categories of people, one, two, three. Hands up all over this room. If that's you, you need to make that decision. I see that hand. I see that hand right there. Awesome. Who else needs to make that decision? See that hand over there in the middle? Great. Who else needs to make that decision? I see that hand right there. Amazing, amazing. I see that hand, young lady in the green dress. Great. Anybody else need to make that decision today? to be reborn, to have one of the most elusive things in the universe, which is inner peace, to have peace. Anybody else need to make that decision today as we close? Amazing, amazing. Come on, can we give a big round of applause for the five or six of you that raised your hand? So proud of you, so amazing. Let's hop to our feet really, really quickly. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing when one comes home. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna um, just walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to, to pray this prayer along with me. Just repeat after me, loud and proud. But um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have everybody in the building pray this prayer alongside of you so you don't feel like you're doing it all by yourself. You know, one of the things we say here is that when you have God as your father, you get a bunch of amazing brothers and sisters too. So let's all bow our heads and let's all pray this prayer loud and proud. Again, if you raised your hand, I want you to repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus Christ on a rescue mission to save me. Today I declare my sins are forgiven. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have a destiny for me. You have an assignment for me. Heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.